A listener asks, how do I quit living this fake life and start living a real one? Well, there's a deep question we can spend some time pondering. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. We're going to be taking care of business here as we do each week. The 48 Days comes from, if you're a new listener, comes from my book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. But the concept, 48 Days, is that that's an adequate time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, do a little bit more research on the best choices, choose one and act. So no matter what decision you're making, you can move through that process and confidently start the next season of your life in that 48-day period. And that's proven to be magic for a whole lot of people. I certainly still use that process all the time today to make decisions and move forward with things that I want to accomplish. And I hope that you're able to do the same. So we got some great questions. Going to be sharing some good news things from around the world. Some things that let you know you can live anywhere you want to especially in today's work environment, some fun opportunities there. And then these questions, we're going to dig into these deep questions and give you some takeaways. So grab your pen and paper, be ready to take some notes here, some resources, some things that I think will help you move forward in the success that you want. So our leading question, of course, was how do I quit living this fake life, start living a real one? And somebody says, uh, Dan, the attached email seems to be legitimate. How can I be sure? How should I respond? I'm going to share with you an email that this listener got, and it's probably one that a whole lot of you got as well. How should we respond? Dan, at what point do I need to get a business license so I don't get in trouble with the law? Well, this being the first of the year when a lot of you are looking at the little side business that you've got going, which I know lots and lots of you do, more and more of you are figuring that out. You don't necessarily have to give up your day job or your career path, but a lot of you are finding that you can do something on the side to maybe duplicate the income that you're used to getting from your regular salary job. This is a good time to be looking at what do you need to do? So I'll give you a couple of pointers there. And someone says, I heard you mentioning how you make money off the cars that you drive. I'd like to know how you took something which most people consume and turned it into an investment. I'll give you a couple of pointers there and the fun thing that I continue to do in that regard. Our quotation then kind of leans into this lead question. This comes from Shakespeare, William Shakespeare in the play Hamlet. And it is this one you're familiar with. This above all to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night, the day thou canst not then be false to any man. Now that came from some advice that King Claudius chief minister Polonius was giving to his son when his son was getting ready to go off to, to college. So like a lot of those timely messages we like to give our kids when they're about to make a big change in their own lives, go off on their own for the first time, perhaps he was just giving his son advice Now, it's interesting. This is a pretty long piece, and I won't go through it all. You can look it up for yourself if you're interested. But toward the end, there's another kind of mantra in there that we hear a lot as well that came from the same piece. So they're right together. So I'll read the two right together. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for oft a loan loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. 
This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. So those those two came right together, neither a borrower nor a lender be, and then the one about being true to yourself. So the, the, the dude giving the advice was actually not that great of a guy, not great of a character in the play, but uh, these are two kind of little mantras that we have taken away from that and quote them over and over again. So we're going to kind of lean into this one about knowing yourself. Now, our resource for today, again, addresses some of the things that we're going to be looking at, and it is the Acres of Diamonds, the old Russell Conwell story about sometimes you find your greatest opportunity right under your nose when it's easier to think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you know, easier to think, well, if I could only move to Franklin, Tennessee, if I could only move to you know, Hollywood, Los Angeles, or whatever, you know, you think, well, there it would be, things would be better. Well, Maybe, maybe not, but this is that old story that I'd love to have you kind of review again. If you just go to 48days.com slash acres, A-C-R-E-S, you'll find the story there, just a free download you can just read through. It's very, very short, but just that kind of reminder that sometimes we need to look for our treasure right under our own nose, right where we are. Well, I got a couple of good news things here. There's always good news going on, but I saw a couple of pieces that I thought were worth sharing here. And there's a story about a, a little, now this is not a story. This is a real, a real event. There's an Australian girl who the, the news story says she's on her way to retiring as a millionaire by the age of 15. Now this is a 10 year old girl. Her name is Pixie Curtis. She set up a toys, a toy store. Just has a couple of toys that she uh, is making money on her mother helped her out in getting this set up. She's making huge profits. When it launched last year, the toys sold out in the first 48 hours. So she's already started another business and they're predicting that by the time she's 15, she'll be able to retire as a millionaire. Now here's the interesting thing. I mean, there's a lot of stories like this. The interesting thing to me is this, the writer of the story understands math but he does not understand the mind of a growing entrepreneur. That's nuts. If this little girl has the ability to set up these ideas and make money, she's not going to retire at 15 because she has enough money to retire. I mean, this plays right into what is often given as the American dream. The American dream is this. You come through school, whatever, you learn some basic skills, you figure out how to make an income. And the goal is to figure out how to have enough income, how to have enough money set aside that you can then stop working and just live on the money that you've created. That's the American dream. That's nuts. A whole lot of people figured out that's not very appealing. Is that really what you want to do? Just get to the point where you know you have enough money for your own needs and then you can unplug from this thing we call work. Well, that's not how people who are listeners of this show think. I know that you don't. You know, we work for more reasons than just accumulating money. I mean, people ask me, I mean, a lot of times, you know, why do I continue to be as active as I am? It's because I love the thrill of the chase. I love being in the game. I love coming up with new ideas. I love helping other people come up with new ideas where they can learn, do things that serve others well and make a profit of doing so. I mean, I don't intend to retire from that. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. 
Well, I could go on on that. That's a topic you hear consistently here, and I wanted to just remind you of it. I thought that was a ridiculous story, this writer projecting that a 10-year-old is going to be able to retire by the time she's 15. Nah, you've got the whole thing wrong, dude. You're a writer. You're not an entrepreneur. Oh, here's a story about a guy who uh, his, his wife said he needed to make some friends. So she said he was actually getting weird. She told him that he needed to make some friends. So he was pretty nervous about it. He was not really an outgoing kind of guy. Lives in San Francisco. But he decided that he'd make pancakes for his neighbors. So he put up flyers. Didn't even have, you know, didn't have to talk to them. Didn't go around knocking on doors or anything. He just put up some flyers, some kind of comical flyers. And they said, you know, my wife says I'm getting weird. She says I need to make friends. So I'm making pancakes. Well, he didn't know what to expect, and it really was just an attempt to kind of get to know his neighbors and to make some friends. He thought maybe this would be a really dumb idea. Everybody might hate it, make fun of him. Well, people started showing up on the morning he did that. He actually had about 75 people show up, ate 125 pancakes, and he's decided this is something he's going to do routinely. I thought, what a cool thing. What, how simple is that? Make pancakes and invite your neighbors. So his goal now is to have Saturday morning pancake parties all across the country. Well, fun stuff. Now, here's, here's an interesting piece. There's an island. It's a, kind of a remote island in England, up in the northern part, tucked in a little, little inlet, but it's about a half mile offshore. It's a 26-acre a island. There's not a whole lot there, but there's an old mansion there. There's a pub there, and it's a pretty attractive little island. I mean, you can, you can pull it up. It is P-I-E-L, P-I-E-L Island. Now, here's the deal. They're looking for a landlord king for this. Now, they're looking for somebody who's in search of solitude, seals, and beer is what they say. So this guy, whoever it is, if you're the king of this island, you will then run the little pub there. Of course, you'll have a place to stay, you know, overlook things. A fairies come over there every day that fairies can come over. So you're going to, you know, fix sandwiches and beer for the people that come over there. But you will be king of this little island. Now, th this is a real deal. You know, they are looking for, let's see, I mean, do you think you have, they have to, you know, they want to have a new king by, the, by April of 2022. And what, they, what they're looking for <clears throat> is that somebody will commit to a 10-year lease. So 10 years, you can be king of the island, um, free place to live. Now, this is just one of many, many examples. I mean, I've shared a lot of things on here about interesting ways like that where you can go to different places around the world. And um, golly, I know people who have done that. Got a couple of nieces and nephews who have traveled around the world just by uh, working at vineyards and things like that, where you can get free room and board and have in interesting life experiences. So this is certainly one of that. You can be king of an island and uh, drink lots of beer, supposedly. Well, th there's other things that are happening right here in the United States. Uh, if you do live here in the United States, as I do, where people are recognizing that in order for a town to be prosperous, there have to be people that live there. 
And a lot of places have kind of lost their population. You know, when people had to make a living dependent on geography, on where they were, then where you live is pretty important. So if you're living somewhere in the plains of Kansas and Nebraska, and gee, there's, there's not much farming being done, it may be hard to make a living there then. But what about now? What about now? Does it really matter where you live? If you have Wi-Fi access, I mean, we know that I, I shared just recently, one in seven jobs at this point can be done remotely. So there's a whole lot of things that could be done where geography really is not very important. You know, this goes back, makes me think of the Homestead Act, which came about in 1862. Abraham Lincoln wanted to get people to kind of spread out and to farm the land and be prosperous, fulfill this great country that we had. And so uh, they could just claim land. The government granted individuals 160 acres of free land as long as they lived on and farmed that land for five years. Wow. I mean, think about how cool that would be. Now, that was not that all, all that long ago. 1862, Abraham Lincoln, that was the Homestead Act. You get 160 acres of free land, you could just go mark it out. I mean, you see these big land quests where people would rush out, you know, and grab, stake out the land that they wanted. Well, that was a very real thing. And then the railroads came through and made that land more valuable. Well, when, again, over, over time, <clears throat> a lot of those towns have kind of dried up. It's just not enough people there. So there are states like Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, that again are trying to entice people to come there, to live there, just to make the, the communities more prosperous. So here's a young couple profiled, Emily um, Wolgamot, Eric and Emily. They were living in California, and they had pretty much given up on home ownership, and they were paying $1,200 a month in rent, barely making enough salary to cover that. They thought it was just not going to be possible. So they saw some of these homes that were being listed for very, very inexpensive in places like Flagstaff, you know, Nebraska. So they moved there. What they did is he saw two vacant houses for a combined price of $5,500, $5,500. I mean, less than a, a good old clunker used car. So they paid cash for those. They moved out of California, moved there. All they have to do now is pay taxes, which run about $150 a month. And because of the work they're doing, they're doing okay. I mean, he started doing his own tree trimming, junk removal business. She does some online work. I mean, think about if you had a house, two houses for $5,500. I mean, one you could rent out. So there are things like this that are going on. And these are easy to find. Again, if you have Wi-Fi, which most of these places, they still have fast Wi-Fi, even if it's a pretty remote town. Communities are small, but a lot of times really friendly. Wow. I mean, if I were looking, and of course, Twain and I have always been very intentional about choosing where we live, just choosing to live in interesting places. We've never pursued these kind of deals particularly. And of course, the last one when we moved here to Florida, they weren't exactly giving, giving houses away, but we uh, made the adjustment and absolutely in love where we're living. Again, making the choice not based on my job, 
but based on where we wanted to live. That's always been what created our decision. I'm just encouraging you, if you're unhappy, if you're feeling stressed with the rent that you have or being priced out of the market or whatever, there are still places around where they will essentially give you the property, give you land, give you lots. There are towns that are giving away lots where you get a lot free if you just build a house there. So check out those things if you like, if that appeals to you. The point is this, you can choose to live anywhere you want. Geography is seldom the key to your success. All right. Now with that, I'm going to go into some questions here that people have submitted. I'm going to have a point, a strong point for you to take away from each of these, and then we'll wrap up. Justin says this, Dan, I've listened to you for many years. I've read many of the books and articles you've recommended. At the end of the February 4th episode, you ended with four things, and one in particular particular resonated with me. Are you the dream manager for your own life? Justin says, I grew up in a household that didn't have a lot, so money was a driving factor in all that I have done since graduating high school. I'm now a licensed CPA and work in private industry, feel like I'm living someone else's life. I'm good at what I do, but I grow bored quickly and find myself wondering, what am I doing with my life? I am the sole provider in my family, and I'm scared to make any changes that may negatively affect our household. How do I quit living this fake life and start living a real one? How do I find my passion and make living the dream a reality? Well, a couple things, Justin. Again, I appreciate your vulnerability, your openness to where you are, and just the recognition of where you are is uh, 50% of the solution, recognizing that you have the ability to do what you do, but not the passion. That's a real big key. Now, the first thing I'll send you immediately, a new copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, by the time you're hearing this, you should have it in your hands. But um, in that, I'll walk you through the process. Recognizing that what you describe is so true. You know, I've worked with a lot of attorneys, physicians, dentists, pastors, engineers, accountants over the years who have proven their ability to do what they do, but hate the life that they've created. You don't need to feel ashamed about that. It's the path that a lot of people take, just following the path of what they have the ability to do. All of a sudden, they have some kind of a graduate degree behind their name because they had in the academic ability to keep going to school. But it doesn't necessarily mean just because you have the ability to do something that that's a good choice for you. So it'll walk you through that process, how to take a fresh look at your unique skills and abilities your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. And from those, be able to make an individualized choice about what work would that mean? And it takes some life experience sometimes to be able to have the knowledge, the perspective to really be able to look at that. So value the life experience that you've had as a CPA and learn from that so you can make a change, even if that change appears to be major at this point. So again, we go back to our quote for today from Shakespeare, this above all to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the day of the night thou canst not then be false to any man. So in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I described that 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your career and in your life comes from looking inward. Now, it's interesting, just last Friday, 
Joanne and I were with another couple, friend of ours, and we went to Selby Gardens here, our very, uh, really well-known botanical gardens here in Sarasota. Beautiful, beautiful place. It was a gorgeous day. We were walking around, and Ed and I, the guy and I, were kind of dragging behind, walking, talking, and the girls were up ahead of us, and we came up and approached them, and they were talking to an Amish couple. As a lot of you may know, you know, that's ties into my heritage. My grandparents were Amish. And so they were having a, a very in lively conversation with this Amish couple. Amish couple, probably in their mid-40s or something. Really delightful people. We were talking to them. One thing led to another. We were talking about you know common cousins, aunts and uncles, and things that may be connected and all of that. But um, ultimately, you went leading in, you know, what do, I, what do I do? It was obvious that, you know, I probably didn't grow up farming like most Amish kids did. So I described to him how my dad was a pastor and a farmer, neither of which he considered any sense of what gives him joy, what he was really a fit for. Just He did what was responsible. And this guy was like, yeah, you know, sure, that's what I've done. I said, well, I chose to take another path. I chose to look inward at how God had uniquely gifted me. And to follow that, even if it meant something that was very different from what others expected of me. Well, this guy was blown away. He was like, you got to be kidding me. How could that be possible? And I said, well, you know, my dad just did what was the responsible thing to do. He needed to provide for his family. What are you going to do when you're an Amish kid with a sixth grade education? The default position is farming. It's a default position, not a choice. It's a default position to do that. I'm not saying all farmers are that by any means, believe me, a lot of them today, I hope they chose very specifically and intentionally what it is they're doing and love what they're doing. But for my dad, that was not the case. Well, this Amish guy, again, was blown away. Now, I'm going to be sending him some materials. He wants to stand, he's totally intrigued with this idea that you mean you really could choose what it is that you do rather than just doing what's expected, what's responsible. So it's it's still a very common malady to be trapped in this idea of you do what you have the ability to do and what resp- what provides for your family, but it, would it be irresponsible to somehow step out of that? Well, the, the, the catch-22 in this is that in as much as people often think if I step out of what it is that I'm doing that provides for my family, I'm going to be irresponsible, our income will go to zero, Everybody will think I'm a loser because I'm just following my own nose. No, <laughs> oftentimes exactly the reverse happens where if somebody really follows their true gifts, their true passions, not only do they have more a sense of full being fully alive, a sense of really enjoying what they do, but it often also can double or triple their income which a lot of times is a surprise. It's like, I thought if I really followed my passion, what I wanted to do, we'd have to live on beans and rice. No, if it really is a good fit, it's your absolute best opportunity, your best shot at making extraordinary income as well. All right. So the takeaway from that is 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career and life come from looking inward. Question from David. Dan, the attached email seems to be legitimate. How can I be sure maybe you received a similar email? Thanks, Dave. Well, Dave shares an email that came from Zoom, and it's a notice of this 
class action settlement. Zoom was charged with sharing some information with third parties about their users. And because of that, there's an $85 million settlement that's set up aside. And if you are one of the people that was using Zoom during that period of time, you can file and it's a percentage of what you spent with Zoom, but it maxes out at $25. So you could follow up on this, file your claim, and you might get, you know, $11.25. If you're one of the big winners in this, you get $25. Now, what do you think my response to Dave is going to be? Yes, this email is legitimate. I mean, we all got these notices. I mean, I certainly did. But my question then, Dave, is how much are you willing to do for the slim chance of maybe getting $25? Personally, I'm not going to spend 30 seconds pursuing this. I'm not going to respond with my email if they send me the money. It's, it just doesn't even get in my radar. I'd encourage you to ignore that, pursue an idea that could make you $25,000. I see so many people. I just came through a situation where after almost five years of working with county officials to correct what they considered code violations on some property we had, we got that all corrected. Everything is finished and we sold the property at a great profit. We're thrilled with what happened and I've moved on. There are people who are saying, you need to make this known. You need to get on radio and TV and tell what happened. This idea of government over overreach. You need to be sharing that. And I'm thinking, oh, that doesn't fit me at all. I mean, sure, I'd like to make it easier for some people behind me and spare them the pain that I went through with that. But it just doesn't fit for me to chase after a negative situation like that, invest my emotional energy there. I would way more rather invest my emotional energy pursuing something positive. I mean, it's like when somebody gets fired and then they start, gee, was it uh, age discrimination, sexual discrimination? And they start a five-year process of, you know, lawsuits and letters and depositions and being in court. I'm like, really? Is, is it really worth that? Or would your energy better be spent in finding your next opportunity and moving on? Now, so my, my takeaway from this with, to Dave is I don't think it's worth your time to chase this for what could possibly get you $25. Nah, just move on. Do something better with your time. So my, my takeaway here is don't waste time chasing pennies when you could be creating dollars. All right. That's the takeaway there. Hey, quick insert here. Just to remind you, these are real life questions. I love getting these questions from you. I feel honored to be part of your lives in that way. You can share success stories, uh, things, resources that others may benefit from, or just your question as I usually share here. If you go to 48days.com slash ask Dan, you can leave your question there. And that's 48days.com slash ask Dan. Well, this comes from Malia. Malia says, I am an elementary math tutor. I want to make this my full-time job. I started tutoring in January of 2019. Right now, my gross is about $600 a month. My net is about $400. 
At what point do I need to get a business license so I don't get in trouble with the law? You really don't. There's no particular magic time when you need to get a business license. Now, there's a couple ways to approach this. I mean, you, you can go ahead. I mean, I, I, you can go ahead and continue what you're doing until you're you know, making $50,000 a year, let's say. At that point, it would probably make sense to get a business license. Now, there's nothing illegal about what I'm recommending there. You're still going I'm, to, I'm, you show your money from day one. If you made $400 in the course of the year in 2021, I mean, report that as miscellaneous income. But that's all you need to do. Just report as miscellaneous income. You can deduct any expenses that you had in creating that income. You're totally fine with that. But there's another part to this that is not just the mathematics. It's about mindset. It may do you well to go ahead and get a business license just so you see yourself as a business person. It might help you to establish yourself to really feel the credibility of being a professional business person. If you got a business license, and it's going to cost you what $20 a year is typically what it's going to cost through your local county to get that. But then in doing that, then you can also start open a business account at the bank. I mean, most banks are going to require that you have you know, business license. So, and then in doing that, then you keep your funds separate. I mean, that really helps you kind of start to see yourself as a serious business person rather than just commingling the money with your personal accounts. So there's merit in getting a business license if this is really something you want to grow. It's not a legal requirement at all. And, and really with what you describe here, my recommendation is this. Don't get lost in the details of your business. Have your focus be making it profitable. A lot of people get lost in the weeds. Gee, do I need, you know, liability insurance? Do I need a license for this? I mean, if you go down to the local SBA, Small Business Administration office, you're going to walk out and tell them you want to start a business. You know, you'll walk out with a two-inch high stack of forms, and you'll say, this is too complicated. Well, don't do that. You don't need all of that. I mean, if you want to get a business license, fine. Do that. Open a bank account. You're done. That's all you have to do. You don't have to get an EIN. You don't have to go through a whole lot of other hoops. No, just do those, and you're legitimately in business. So keep it simple. Build the complexity of your business because the profitability requires it. You know, if you're making $200,000 a year, yeah, sit down with an accountant and really set up the business properly so you know you're in good shape there. Um, this Okay, hi, Dan. I'd like to thank you for all the support you've given me in the past. I heard you mentioning how you make money off the cars that you drive. I'd love to know how you took something which most people consume and turned it into an investment. I would love to know how to do the same. Wishing you the best year ever. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. The key to making money on cars that you drive is to really understand cars, for one thing. I mean, this is, wow. If I were, um, I had a friend one time in California who would invest in earth-moving equipment, these big tractor trailers, earth moving machines, a lot of times would be just discarded out in the middle of the desert and left there to rust. He would buy those, refurbish those, and resell them and made a ton of money doing that. I would be a really poor candidate for that. You know why? Because I don't understand that industry. I don't understand those products. 
I, if I were, you know, I, I know people make money with baseball cards or frankly, cryptocurrency as an example. Not me. I don't do anything in those arenas because I don't know anything about it. Cars, I happen to understand very, very well. I understand. And in doing so, I recognize that a lot of cars, especially if they're really nice cars, exotic cars, cars that are really nice, will hit what's called a bottom cash value. Usually between six and seven years old, they're going to hit depreciation where it bottoms out. It can level off and actually increase from that point on. I mean, I drive an old classic Corvette. I mean, it's worth far more than when I purchased it because it had already hit that bottom cash value. I can do that with a lot of cars, even the more ordinary cars that Joanne drives. I just watch very, very carefully. Once I zero in on the kind of car that I'm looking for for her, I find one that has decent miles. We don't put a lot of miles on it. So in doing so, we can keep it for three or four years and sell it and make money every single time. So it's, it's mainly because I understand what it is that I'm doing there that makes it easy for me to make money. I'm looking for a new car for Joanne right now. Having a lot of fun because I know it's not going to be an ultimate hard expense. No, it's just going to be money that I put into a car. When I'm ready, I can extract the money out and move on. Done that over and over and over again. We have people standing in line, as a matter of fact, for the car that she's currently driving. And again, I know that I'll price it significantly over what I paid for it you know, four years ago. So here's, here's how to make money with anything where you're knowledgeable. Always be ready, never be in a hurry. That's the other reason people get hurt on cars. They decide on Sunday afternoon on the way home from church to see a clown out in front of the car lot waving a flag and they whip in and buy, you know, buy a $60,000 car. They go, you got to be kidding me. I've never done that. I would never dream of doing that. The key is always be ready, never be in a hurry. You can look up cars on Craigslist, depending on what kind of car you're looking for. Identify six cars that are close matches to what you're looking for that would be okay. Go out and look at those on a Saturday morning, make offers and get two people to accept offers that you can't believe because they just want to move on. I mean, it just, it just happens that way. It's not taking advantage of people. It's just part of the market. And if you're ready where you don't have to say, well, gee, you know, I'll go to the bank on Monday and see if I can get a loan. No, I'm talking about cash in hand, ready to buy. That's how you can make money every time on a car. Roxanne says, I've received your newsletters and listened to you for years. I love your articles, podcasts, books, and your heart for helping others find the freedom and courage to pursue their dreams. My husband is, my question is this, my husband and I started a website about five years ago. It's a site where people can go to and find things to do to get out and enjoy life. We have all the state parks for Arkansas and Missouri along with different activities. Because of different circumstances in life, we've not been able to work like we'd like to. As a result, all of our activities are not completely filled. My question is this, is it too late to go ahead and pursue this as a business since it's been five years? We still believe in it, and it's something we'd enjoy doing as a full or part-time income. The income part is building web pages for various businesses, so on and so forth. Our profession right now is over-the-road truck drivers. Thanks for all you do. God bless, Roxanne. Well, thanks, Roxanne. I love the variety of things that you present here that you're doing. Um, Roxanne says the name of our business is Breath Away, Breath Away Outdoors America. 
All right, great, great title. I did go to your Facebook page and look there at some of the things that you're sharing. My advice would be this, and it's certainly not too late. The fact that it's been there five years, it doesn't matter. If it's not being promoted much, nobody knows about it anyway. Just build on what you've got and go with what your heart is calling you to do. Now, having a list of things to do, like all the state parks in Arkansas and Missouri, there's a whole lot of sites that are going to give you that information. I mean, my daughter, her family are full-time travelers. They know the state parks inside and out. They know how to get information there, what to do, and so on. A lot of that's going to be hard to set yourself apart if you're just giving that information. My encouragement was do something to make yourselves unique. I mean, how do you find places that other people won't find easily in other ways? I mean, you, you might even draw from the fact that you are over-the-road truck drivers. How do you find places that over-the-road truck drivers would enjoy? I mean, what are the personalities of over-the-road truck drivers? Have fun with that. Dig into the idiosyncrasies, the things that people commonly assume about over-the-road truck drivers, and come up with places that those kind of people would enjoy. I mean, just even something like that would make you distinctive. And that's what you've got to do in this. Not just be one more list of places, but somehow make your information distinctive. It's like what I've done with, you know, being a career coach, you know, there's millions of career coaches out there, but I'm the guy that says you can change your life dramatically in 48 days. If you create a plan and act on it, that sets me apart. And that has worked like magic and has made me millions and millions of dollars over the years. Become known for something distinctive. Don't be one more in a sea of sameness. All right, let me one more here. Denise says, Dan, I've written two children's books, but I haven't done much to market and sell them. I'm creating a website, but in thinking about blog content, I'm not sure how to position myself. I've worked in human resources. I've taught, now am a school librarian. My interests include diversity in children's literature and young adult literature, instructional design, career coaching for teachers, um, if one of my goals is to sell my books, how can I present myself in a way that doesn't seem segmented and inconsistent? Well, kind of a, a, a tough presentation here, Denise. I mean, you want to become known as segmented and inconsistent. Again, the last thing you want in what you're describing is to blend in with a lot of books that are out there. You don't want to get lost in the crowd, just like the question before. You want to be distinctive. What sets you apart from that sea of sameness? It's going to be hard for me, even as a writer, I mean, I love writing. It's going to be hard for me to encourage you to think you can make money from two children's books. And I know way too many children's book authors who have wasted time and money trying to promote their books. You know, they spend 10 times on marketing their books as they're ever going to make from their books. So it becomes a vanity project. You know, they just, they, they want to hear themselves talk about their books. They do want people to know about them, but the sales are never going to justify the time, energy, and money spent in promoting that. So if, if you have a strong message, you know, if your book is about how to help children deal with bullies, as an example, then become known for that message and the book can remind people what you want them of what you want to be known for. But the books alone are never likely to make you any significant money. You know, if you enjoy writing, become known as a great writer. I mean, you're a librarian involved with books. Maybe maybe you're a great writer. You can do very well 
helping other people write their books. I mean, too many people try to come up with a totally original message, an idea in their book. What if you just helped someone who is already very well known write their stories? I mean, I know the, the writer who has helped people like George Foreman and Chuck Norris, John Ashcroft, um, Joel Osteen. I mean, there's one guy who has written books for all of them. He writes their stories. They're the celebrity. Their name's on the front cover. He writes the stories and gets paid extraordinarily well for that. Just this week, we had Nick Pavlidis, who is our dean of writing in the 48 Days Eagles community on, talking about what he's done with writing. He moved from being an attorney to being a ghost writer. And he very quickly established himself. His current rate is $75,000 to help somebody write their book. He has people standing in line and his goal this year is to do seven or eight books. Well, you can do the math on that. Just that one stream, and he has other things as well that he's promoting and offering, but just that one stream of income, you know, he's going to make, I mean, he's going to make so much more than the average author. I mean, there's not 1% of 1% of authors out there who are going to make the money that Nick's going to make this year, not just in promoting his own book, but in helping other people craft, write, and promote their books. So just be realistic about where your unique skill lies, Denise, what it is that you really bring to the table here. It may not be just in the uniqueness of a couple children's books. It may be some other kind of skill, superpower that you have, zone of genius that you have that's right under your nose, but may lend itself to an application other than just writing another children's book. All right, here, we're going to wrap it up here. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go over these key points that I gave you here, because these are things you can take away and apply in a whole lot of areas of your life. So I've got five of these. Number one, you can choose to live anywhere you want. Geography is seldom the key to your success. Number two, 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your life and career comes from looking inward. Number three, don't waste time chasing pennies when you could be creating dollars. Number four, don't get lost in the details of your business. Have your focus be making it profitable. Number five, here's how to make money with anything where you're knowledgeable. Always be ready, never be in a hurry. All right, now next week, going to have a conversation with an author of a new book called Good Money Revolution. We're going to talk about making money, the thrill of making money, not just so you accumulate more, build a bigger house, buy a nicer car, so you have the thrill of being able to continue to serve people well, to give more. And you probably ever had before. Good Money Revolution. We're going to be talking about that next week. Hey, this is awesome. This is always fun for me. You know you hear me talk about that. You probably get tired of hearing me talk about this. This is not a, just a joke. It's not some kind of a marketing ploy. I truly do enjoy doing this. It's one of the highlights of my week to open that magic mailbox, see your questions, send those in Go to 48days.com slash askdan. Shoot your question in. I love opening those up. So thanks for listening, for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.